Welcome back to Church Unscripted, the podcast ministry of Brookside Church. And we want to thank you for being a part of this. The point of this podcast is to go deeper into the conversations we have on Sunday morning uh, and really kind of dive into the depth of the meaning, the depth of the value, and how it relates to us. And so I want you to know that we appreciate your participation in this. We're so grateful for your feedback, your comments, and your continued watching of this series, not just on Sunday mornings, but also during the week with this podcast. So thank you for joining us. We have a great conversation today, and I am with my partners in ministry. I've got David, who's our worship pastor, as well as John, who's our community pastor. And so we're going to have a great conversation focused on John chapter 20. Now, what we need to know is that while you are watching this on the normal uh, Wednesday upload schedule, uh, this is actually being filmed a week prior. And so that's because that this week uh, is a spring break week. And so we wanted to get ahead of ourselves, but that doesn't mean that our conversation about John's message will be any uh, less uh, valuable. And so again, thanks for joining us. Um, we have a lot of conversation from John chapter 20 today. And the reason I love this text is, is not just because your outline you gave us, I think has a lot of valuable insight, but because um, I believe that John 20 is far more relatable to us than we might realize. Now, if people read John 20, they might get the idea that, you know, there's only a select few people in the world in history that has their experience. These were the only people to experience the empty tomb at first. These are the only people to experience the resurrected Jesus in the way that they did. Um, and so you and I cannot claim that for ourselves. However, what I'd like to suggest, and I think where you're going with your message, um, is very much, we would react, I think, or respond to the resurrected Jesus very similarly to the way they did. And so I'm looking forward to where this conversation goes. And, and so you started out in your outline, your message, uh, about the fact that in verses, starting in verse 11, one of the things that we can glean from that is that Jesus very much sees us. And I love that thought. And so why don't you take a moment, expound on that, uh, talk, to you, talk to us about what you mean when you say he sees us. Well, I, I'll unpack that a little bit. I mean, in Near Eastern culture, yeah. the last person that was seen would have been a woman. Mary Magdalene was not the person that would be the expected first person to see the resurrected mm -hmm. Jesus. In fact, she might be the last person in most people's mind, including the disciples. Mm -hmm. Like the, there might be a little jealousy there, in fact, but she's seen because, because of this. This is what, what blows my mind at this. Mary Magdalene in, in verse 18, John 20, 18 says, went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. And what did he said, said to her? Do not cling to me for I'm not yet ascended to the father, but I go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father, your father, to my God and your God. And what's interesting is God met her, saw her when she was weeping. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there's something we can, we can learn there that when we're grieving, when we're hurting, Jesus sees us. He cares for us. He's there with us. And in fact, she mistakes him for being a gardener. Yeah. Sometimes we miss that Jesus actually sees us in that moment. We forget the fact that God is watching us. And I don't mean that in a overarching like heavenly father, like he's always watching everything I'm doing. Like an it's over more, your shoulder kind yeah, of thing. Not, yeah, it's not an over shoulder. Helicopter it's, it's like parent. a, yeah. I really care about you mm -hmm. and I'm with you in this. Mm. I yeah. find it interesting that she was, she was almost blinded by her grief to actually see Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned that, um, that she thought he was a gardener. I always thought that was interesting. Like, how did she not know 
that it was Jesus. Like she have seen, you ever cried? Have you ever cried so bad you can't see straight? Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's what, what, that's what I'm saying. Is like that's where Jesus uh-huh. meets us, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. In that deep pain. Well, I like what you said there. There's um there's a, a principle of life that I believe I learned from my dad. I might have heard it from other places as well, but it's fairly common. It's 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 strong emotion clouds good judgment. Yeah. And so that that very much has been applicable of a of a principle in leadership and decision making process, especially when you're making financial investments. You know, emotion can lead you to make a bad investment, right? So I think when you when you're referring to Mary's extreme emotional state, and if if you read the Gospels, there's good reason for her to have an extreme emotional state. I mean, Jesus was the one who not just saved her life when a group of religious zealots try to stone her to death because she's a sinner, right? Mm. But, but he's also the one that, that set her free in so many different ways. Mm. Um, and so- I mean, she, what, she was seen more than once. She was seen in that situation. She's oh, yeah. seen here. Yeah. But what's interesting is she even continues the dialogue. Sir, if you've carried him away. Like, right. She's talking to Jesus. I mean, don't, I mean, don't we kind of do the same thing? Well, I'm beginning to wonder if Jesus meant for her to not recognize him up front. Yeah. Because I think he wanted to see if how much she wanted to, to hold on to Jesus. Um, yeah. Not just in a physical kind of way, but in a, in a spiritual, emotional kind of way. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus very much became for Mary uh, a grounding kind of a person. Um, that gave her value and gave her worth. And if at this point in her faith journey, she didn't fully understand what a resurrection is or that he was going to rise again, even though there's ample evidence in the gospels that he explained that clearly, yeah. if she wasn't fully there, then, then the one person in the world that gave her value and gave her meaning mm. is now gone. And so uh, it, it's no wonder that she is grasping for uh, for the one person in the world that saw her to continue to see her. Mm. Yeah. And well, and, and when he, when he says Mary, yeah, I think of when Jesus says my sheep will know my voice. Mm-hmm. She didn't know his voice until her name was said. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think he revealed himself because that was a gift mm-hmm. before that. I think, I think maybe it was almost like, it seems like almost a little bit of a test. Who are you seeking? Yeah. What are you looking for? He calls her woman first, right? Yeah, I know. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. Yeah, you don't, yeah. <laughs> don't call your wife woman, right? Like, you know, right. like don't call he someone waits. you care yeah. about. Um, but I think also when she's talking, when she's talking to the two angels, okay, so angels have already appeared to her. Yeah. Then Jesus appears to her. It's like yeah. she had twofold manifestation of God, mm. like mm-hmm. there, there was two different ways that God was showing himself. And even with those two angels, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. She, like she still didn't know he was alive. Mm. Do you well, know what I'm saying? Like she yeah. assumes that. What if, what if she didn't know at the time that they were angels? Yeah. True. Because I mean, scripture says that we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. And if all of a sudden you see a couple of guys in glowing white robes, that's got some halo around their head and some wings, you know, yeah. you're, okay. Now all of a sudden your faith is by sight, not by, I mean, yeah, you walk by sight, not by faith. But what if, yeah. what if they realize after the fact, oh man, those were angels that showed up. And what the angels were calling her to do mm-hmm. is remember the faith that she had built in Jesus prior to the prior to the crucifixion. And so trying to recall in her mind um, when Jesus said, uh, the, the son of man will be handed over, will be crucified, but will rise again three days later. Mm, yeah. And I think that's relevant for us because, because there's so many of us who find ourselves in extreme emotional states feeling like 
perhaps God has abandoned us. I mean, we've talked yeah. you know, recently about um, so many of us feeling like we've gone through dry spells mm-hmm. uh, where God is somewhat distant or non-communicative. And we begin to wonder, where is the God who saw me, mm-hmm. who I cling to, built my mm-hmm. faith on, mm-hmm. where's he at? And I think what happens is the Holy Spirit, perhaps like these angels did, steps into our life uh, and maybe doesn't give us some writing in the sky, but recalls our minds to something Jesus already put into us so that we can continue to walk by faith, even when the emotions, even when the circumstances Mm. uh, suggest otherwise. there's, There's one thing of note in that verse 15, though, that even falls along that line, is when Jesus approaches her, she still doesn't know it's Jesus. And I think when God sees us and God is there for us and doing exactly what you're describing, sometimes we don't see it right away because we're looking for something else. Mm-hmm. You, you, you ever hear the, the story of the guy that's you know stuck on, stuck on the roof of his house and everything's flooded around him? Mm-hmm. And you, you've heard this before, right? So he's like prays and he's like, God, just please rescue me. And someone comes up with a boat and he's like, no, I prayed that God's going to rescue me. He's going to rescue me somehow. And then a helicopter comes to come pick him up. And he's like, no, God's going to rescue me. And then you find out that the guy died in the hurricane. That's kind of somehow how we sometimes react. Mm -hmm. And Mary here has a huge pivot because Jesus does enough for her to say Mm -hmm. her name and say Mary. Mm -hmm. And I almost, I mean, we could almost insert there. Mary is Mary, I see you. Because her response is, Oh, what was it? Rabboni, which means teacher. She's like, it's you. It's Jesus. Mm-hmm. She finally connected it. She wasn't like the guy that just sitting on that roof. That's like, uh, I'm waiting for God to show up. You know, I'm waiting for the angels to come down. She wasn't waiting for that. She actually got to see him. And I think what's interesting is Jesus says, don't cling to me. So we can assume that she was clinging to him at that point. Oh yeah, why wouldn't she, right? And so giving him a hug. Yeah, I know. know. But but when we're seen by Jesus, we're going to cling to him. Yeah. If we don't feel seen, it's going to be really hard to cling to something that we don't see, right? Yeah, I mean, you you and I have very vivid pictures of what that probably looked like when when your loved one is sick or about to die and then they're brought back to life. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, can you imagine a mother or a father not clinging to their child Mm. if they have been just brought back from the brink of death, right? And so this is, this is not just Jesus getting a, uh, a resurrection. It's Mary, in a sense, getting something of a resurrection um, because it's her whole value. It's her life. It's her foundation being brought back to her. If Jesus is dead, every experience that she had with him is worthless. Waste of time. And it's true for us too. Yeah. But if Jesus is alive, then, then that gives every experience we have meaning and value. And the moment you begin to see Jesus... I mean, it's inter- like you said, it's interesting. Jesus showed up in the garden before she recognized him. She only recognized him after the fact. And I think once we recognize Jesus after the fact that he's been involved in our life mm-hmm. in a resurrection kind of way, yeah. um, then the emotions, I think, catch up. And it's a flip. It's there's anxiety and then there's extreme joy. Mm-hmm. It's there's a loss of, loss of hope and then there's a filling of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a story of, of Mary. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I have, I have more questions. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> we only covered the first section here like that we were looking at. So <laughs> I'm waiting for these. I read ahead a little okay, bit. Okay. I read ahead. And in, uh, in John 20, verse 11, through the end of the chapter, 
Jesus really addresses not three separate people, but three different kinds of people. Mm. Yes. So am I getting too ahead of myself? No, you're not getting ahead of yourself. All right. So the first kind of person is personified in Mary, who we just talked about. The second kind of person is personified, I believe, in the disciples that he showed up to in the room that they were locked in, right? And the third kind of person is personified um, in Thomas. Yeah. And so as I kind of thought through this, I'm not sure where you're going to go with this. And I don't want to. That's uh, exciting. To okay. Know. All right. We'll see. We'll see what, I don't know what you're going to say. That's why this well, is unscripted, right? No, this is, that's perfect. That's perfect. So <laughs> one of the things I loved about your, your, your message outline is he said, Jesus meets us and sees us where we're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just discussed that Jesus saw Mary in her anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think when we read ahead, Jesus is going to meet his disciples in a theological conundrum. When he meets the third kind of person, Thomas, he's going to meet him in his issue. It's not emotional anxiety. It's not a theological conundrum. It's an evidence to it. And so he's, he's very much a, a uh, white or black. It's evidence. It's see it and to believe it kind of mentality. And I just find it fascinating. Jesus was willing to step into whatever their issue was. All three of them were different and prove himself to be alive there too. Um, yeah. And I, and I think that's really good for us to remember because I think in, in a, this room on Sunday mornings, um, there's probably going to be at least those three, if not other mm. issues that people come to the, mm. the problem of the resurrection with. And Jesus is good enough to step into whatever that is. Mm. Um, maybe it's a philosophical issue. Well, and, where, and I've, I've heard it said this way. I mean, if you look at the resurrection, so if there was the cross and Jesus died on the cross and there was no resurrection... Would we be here right now? Absolutely Talking not. about this? Jesus would be just one of hundreds, if not thousands of people who died at the hands of the Rome. And so, so the resurrection here and where he meets them yeah. is so vitally important. And, and I, I really think these three groups of people um, represent a majority of people. Mm-hmm. I would say that there's those like Mary that maybe have uh, been neglected, hurt, mm-hmm. ostracized by society, they're the ones that like in desperation mm. are going to Jesus because that's all they have. Mm. You have the disciples that were followers, they were fervent, but then also what happened when they, when Jesus went to the cross, mm-hmm. they kind of yeah. ran, yeah. like yeah. they didn't just like, yeah. you know? And so you have that group. And then you have, you have Thomas, as you described, wanting the evidence. I, I think it's so telling that each one kind of, there was a, almost a different mission that was addressed there. So Mary just needed to be seen. The disciples needed to be sent. In verse 22, mm-hmm. people, people are like, wait, what does this mean? Because again, Acts chapter two is Pentecost. And we just recently finished a Holy Spirit series, yeah. talked about that, but it says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That seems like a lot of power. Yeah. I mean, so mm. what, do you, what do you think the disciples needed? I mean, I'm, I'm asking you guys, like, why did they need that in that moment? When they saw Jesus, why would he say that? I mean, he says, peace be with you, but mm. I'm sure that's because they were scared. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, I mean, he came through a locked door, so. Yeah, not many that, people can do that. And he was in bodily right. form. Yeah, that kind of, yeah. that's a little freaky. <laughs> yeah, when you think about it. Yeah. Was he teleported? Is this Star yeah, Trek or like, something? Uh, or, yeah, I'm like, know? how did, uh-huh. that's where my mind always goes. How did that happen? Right. Like, right. What, 
what was that like? Were they yeah. looking over their shoulder going, who didn't lock the door? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it could be. Yeah. Who left the window open, right? Yeah. Um, my thought, my thought is this. Um, I don't think the disciples needed convinced of, of the accuracy of Jesus' prophecy that he was going to rise again. Because when you look back in the gospels, Jesus is not vague about it. No. He's not unclear. They he, did challenge him on it though, right? Oh yeah, he can challenge. But I think, I think psychologically when you challenge somebody on something and then your challenge is proven to be corrected, then what you just learned is further solidified in your mind. It's yeah. further ingrained. So I think their challenge of Jesus, their questioning of it, further solidified what he was teaching them. So when you go back and consider all of that, Jesus was abundantly clear and mentioned it several times. Mm. He, didn't, he wasn't vague that he was going to be handed over. He was going to be crucified and he would rise from the grave again. In fact, when they're walking through Jerusalem, maybe for some of them, for, for the first time in their life, I don't, maybe not, um, they see this monster temple, right? And when, when, when the group of Brooksiders and I were there, I mean, literally what is left of the Temple Mount is still an awe-inspiring feat. How did they big, build something that big? And so they look at the temple and they say, you know, look at these beautiful stones and everything, these beautiful buildings. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, uh, I'm gonna tear all this down and in three days I'm gonna rebuild it, right? Um, and of course the Pharisees who were listening like, to that were like, what are you talking about? It took years, decades right. for our forefathers to build this and you're gonna tear it down and build it in three days? Who are you? And of course the Bible says he was referring to his own resurrection. Mm. And so that along with so many other things convinced, convinced me that they had ample evidence, ample information to be convinced that Jesus' prophetic utterance was going to come true. Mm. So I don't think they needed convincing. What I think they needed is authority. And so yeah. authority over the hindrance that was keeping them from seeing Jesus. Mm. So I think, I think Mary needed authority uh, to speak out over her anxiety and emotional uh, distress. I think the disciples needed authority to overcome their fear of what the Jews might do to them. Mm. And I think Thomas needed authority to speak out over his, his personality that drives him to see in order to believe. Mm. Um, and I think that's what they needed. And I think that authority extended into the book of Acts where they continued the same kind of ministry that Jesus did. Mm. What do you think, David? Um, no, I, I love this. I, I actually, it's, it's, it's ironic. My devotional this morning was John twenty nineteen through 23. Um, and the thing that always intrigues me is that... Um, we said, peace be with you. And they were still, it, it probably didn't go this quick, but he says, peace be with you. And then he showed them his hands in his side and then they were happy. And then he says, peace be with you again. So he's bringing the disciples peace. Um, but then he, then he, it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy spirit. And I think that's the power that you were talking about that, um, he, he had talked about the Holy Spirit. There's, there's a greater one to come, right? Um, and I, 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 I just think that's so cool that he, he could have just, they could have received the Holy Spirit when he rose. Like they could have been in that room by themselves and then been like, what is this thing? But he chose like, to be present. Yeah. But he, 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 he went through a barrier. He went through a locked door um, and, and gave them peace. And then he, he actually took time to be present and like, breathe on them, like mm -hmm. say, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, 
so that they can have that power to move forward yeah. with the gospel. Yeah. Well, I think, I think what's important about what you had started saying about them is maybe they didn't need convincing about his resurrection, but at that point when he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you, they needed affirmation, mm-hmm. encouragement to be sent at that point. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's something, there was a catalyst that happened that ended in every disciple being martyred or exiled or, you know, people being, peeping, being stoned to death mm-hmm. right. and going right. to their death. And the catalyst was that one phrase right there, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you, which he had sent them out before. Right. You know, he sent the 72 120, he sent the disciples out. They'd come back at times like, uh, we can't do this. What What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, they're a little uncertain. And so right here, this is like the final statement. This is like the stamp that Jesus is setting down. Hey, I've sent you. So how, how I think that comes to us today, you know, you're talking about this is very applicable today. I think is if you're a Christian and you're standing on the sideline, you, you're, you're sitting, you're soaking mm-hmm. in things, but you're not actually applying and acting on those things. Mm. You're not living sent. And so, I mean, I'm going to mention something about that, but the the reality is the disciples were essentially activated for ministry in this moment. Mm. They didn't need convincing of Jesus being there in bodily form. I mean, it would be scary, right? If he appeared here in this room, all of a sudden, I think we'd be a little afraid. Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. why, what's going on? Yeah. What, so, so I think in some ways that was the part of it. And I think... I mean, to be honest, I know a lot about Thomas and I, I feel like we cast Thomas in this bad light. I mean, you guys have heard the term doubting Thomas, Thomas. right? And so like, I don't ever want to call my kids a doubter. Isn't that like, it's almost like a negative term. And so Hmm. when you look at him here, he's like wants this evidence. But if you look at Thomas before, he was a lot like Peter. He's like, well, Jesus, wherever you go, I want to go. Like, I'm, Mm -hmm. I, I want to go with you. He was ready to die. And it's like, wait a second, where did that Thomas go to this Thomas? Well, so I think I it's know. I think it's hard. Like when I look at this, I've always heard the doubting Thomas term too. But as I was reading this, it's interesting because Jesus shows up to the disciples and what does he do? He shows them his hands and his side to say, this is me in living form. And then, and then they're glad. And, <laughs> and then they're glad, right? But then like the same thing, Thomas wasn't there. And he's like, I don't want to take you at your word. Like, I want to see Jesus for myself. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there was some doubt there, but I think there could also have been like a, wait, you saw his hands inside? Like, that's not cool. Like, I want to see that too. Almost like a sense of like jealousy. In my, like, depending on how you read it, um, just that he, he wanted to see Jesus. Like, he wanted to know that, that he was alive which maybe he lacks some faith there. But yeah, yeah. it's just, I think it's interesting that in both of those cases with the disciples and with Thomas, it was about seeing his hands in his side to, to know yeah. that it was Jesus. So he's just like one of them. He's too. just like the other disciples mm-hmm. yeah. in yeah. that way. Um, I, I find it fascinating that after these disciples had walked with Jesus day in and day out for three years, they sat at his feet listening to his teaching and all of his teaching was rife with authority. Mm. He taught like nobody else taught. They were there to see every one of his miracles that could not be explained. And you might say, well, they're just not scientifically advanced enough to describe this. And um, no, no, there are things that Jesus did then that science even today cannot explain. They were there for it all. 
And yet somehow the people who are most likely to look forward to and expect the resurrection totally blew it. Um, one of the things that my dad has said several times is perhaps one of the most tragic events in history is that the moment that Jesus walked out of the tomb, nobody was there to greet him. I mean, think about it. The Old Testament is full of this prophecy. Jesus proved himself to be the Messiah. You would think that after all of that effort that God put into this world, as soon as that stone rolled away and Jesus walked out, there would be millions of people lining up to see the resurrected Jesus and nobody was there. Hmm. And I began to wonder, how, how do you get to a place where there is, there's no shortage of evidence, there's no shortage of truth to prove he's the Messiah and yet Jesus, Jesus can be so easily dismissible. And, um, and honestly, that, that's something that I struggled with when I was in Israel um, because uh, for a couple of reasons, this is the land that Jesus did his ministry in. The sites themselves prove scripture. I mean, the saying is that every time you put a shovel in the dirt, the Bible is only further confirmed. And I saw that. Um, and when the Bible continues to be confirmed, you would think that the Jews especially would be like, okay, now I see Jesus. He is the fulfillment of my entire religion. Uh, and yet when the other um, leader for the trip sat down at dinner one night with our Jewish guide, this guy's one of the most religious Jews that I've met. But more than that, he knows more about our Bible than I think we know. Mm. And he can cite verses even in the New Testament. But when he sat down with him and said, you know, how, how do you not see Jesus? I mean, Isaiah says that he was pierced for our transgression. He says, look on the man who is pierced for you. Jeremiah talks about, look at the man. And he says, how do you not see Jesus in this? And, and he said, well, he's not my Messiah. My Messiah is the nation of Israel. And I'm fully satisfied in my religion. And I was just blown away with how easily dismissible Jesus is to the people who should be the most familiar with him. And I even saw that all over Israel, not just with the Jews, but with, with Muslims, whether they're super religious or just kind of casual, culturally religious. Mm -hmm. It's like Jesus is nothing more than an afterthought. Mm -hmm. And so uh, not even worth considering for so many people. Mm -hmm. so, and so I thought- what, So would, would you say- that what's most important is who Jesus is. Well, yeah, I'm not, well, yeah, absolutely. But what I'm trying to say is that there, there are so many things that can cloud our mind from truly seeing who Jesus is. Mm. And if the disciples who were there with him for three, three years solid and heard all his teaching had either an emotional anxiety or a theological conundrum mm. or simply I need to see it to believe it, if that kept them from seeing the resurrected Jesus, then what is keeping us from seeing the resurrected Jesus? Mm -hmm. And it's super easy to let those things overwhelm our mentality so we can't see him. Mm. You know what I look at this though? This is, I mean, this gives me hope because yeah. if, if I'm where you just described, I could be pretty hopeless. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like what is keeping yeah. us as if those things have more power than Jesus has. But I look here and I look, he appeared to the disciples. Okay, that's one thing. But Thomas says this stuff and he still appears to Thomas. He didn't have to. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't think he had to at all. He chose to. And he chose to make him wait. He chose and waited until he was still locked in a room. It's almost the same exact experience if you read it as the disciples. Like Thomas, this guy that really was passionate, mm. 
had the same thing happen. I think God meets us Mm -hmm. in such a profound way. And there's many people that know of him. They think they know who he is, Mm -hmm. but they don't look at scripture and identify who exactly he says he is. Even right here, um, when he goes to the disciples, he says, as the father has sent me, he's implying he's God. Mm-hmm. That God's his father. He's the very son of God. Not not anyone else. He's saying he is. And so I'm sending you. So he speaks with such authority, like you're saying, mm-hmm. that's neglected by Jewish, Muslim, I mean, agnostics, any anybody. I mean, you, you know, there's a pastafarian. I mean, they're just any religion. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, stuff. Yeah. And so, but he says here, so I am sending you. So really, Eric, I, I kind of want to, pivot back to you is that is the question who's who are we sent by because the your jewish guide he was sent by religion i don't i don't know judaism Mm -hmm. israel but he wasn't sent by a savior i mean so is that really the question that it comes to I think I think for him and for a lot of Jews today specifically, um, their Messiah is not Jesus or a man in particular. Um, it is the nation of Israel and the God that has sent them is, yeah, it's the God of the Old Testament, but he, he's far less personable and it's more nationalistic pride, nationalistic ambition. And that, that kind of summarizes who God is. And, and I think that that falls far short of the resurrected life that Jesus affords us. And I just, I just, um, well, honestly, my heart breaks for him and for every other Jew who have every bit of information. And this is not just the Jew, man, it's the church too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up in the church. I'm saturated by biblical stuff. And yet it's super easy to let something cloud my mind so that I miss him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I would hate for anyone at Brookside to allow that to happen to themselves. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so to, to speak practically. Yeah. What what do you guys think clouds your mind like Thomas? Like Thomas had, maybe had a little jealousy, mm-hmm. maybe had a little doubt, maybe he had uh, a I need an experience. I mean, some of us crave experience, and we don't receive that. We lack faith. Mm. I mean, what what do you guys think is what are the biggest clouds that you guys see in people? I mean, we can be self reflective, but I mean, even in yeah. general, that's a good question. Yeah. That's good. I think it's, um, hmm. I don't know. I think it can be any number of things. Uh I mean, in our, in our society, I mean, there's so many, I mean, jealousy, doubt, um, wanting to, I mean, a practical example is, uh, healing, right? Like I, I grew up in a, uh, in a denomination where healing, uh, was not a thing. Like we believe that God can heal them, but like not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not practiced or whatever it is. Um, and so I would doubt when people would say, oh, I was healed. I'm like, no, you weren't. You just were never sick. You know, it's like, you know, you kind of dismissive um, until I began to see that with my own eyes. And I've seen people be healed uh, in a, in a moment through the power mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit. And it's like, I, I'm like Thomas, like I don't, until I see it firsthand, I have a hard time believing it mm-hmm. a lot of times. And I think that's, so, so that's we, the are, blinder. So, so of these three characters, do you think a lot of us are more like Thomas that are in the church? Like until I see it, 
I don't know if I'm going to believe it. Like, it, I, I mean, I, I believe what God's word says, but I don't know if I really believe in miracles because I've not seen it. I believe Jesus did miracles, but I just don't, I don't know. Well, I think our culture is a lot of like, it, it, we're kind of groomed to say like, if I didn't experience it, then it didn't happen. Like if I don't, it's, it's a, like, it's the my truth type thing. Yeah, speak right? my it's, truth. Yeah, right? it's, yeah, it's the my truth type thing where it's like, well, my experience dictates my belief. And I think a lot of times in the church, like we can fall into that. Um, I don't think we should. And there's, you know, we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us to kind of um, help us from that temptation. But I think a lot of times that can be the case. Like I won't, it's hard for me to believe it if I don't, if I haven't seen it or I haven't experienced it. And in essence, I've, I've always heard it said the opposite is actually accurate. You know what I'm saying? Where you, where you take the Bible and you're, the Bible's the lens that you view the world in. Right. Rather than allowing your experience to mm-hmm. be the lens which you view the Bible. And not to use big theological terms, eisegesis, exegesis. You're uh-huh. actually reading yep. into the text. Yep. You're reading into the Bible what you think mm-hmm. is going on rather than just reading it for what it is and allowing it to speak into your life. I mean, Eric, something you want to add to that? I, I think there's a lot there. I think the first step to discovering probably the veil that Satan will try to use to cloud your mind for Jesus is probably based on your personality. Um, I think for those people who are very, very feelings oriented, they might gravitate more towards Mary's response um, where it was very much of a relational um, um, security, nurturing kind of relationship. And if those things are taken out of somebody's life, uh, then they might begin to project that onto Jesus. Where are you? I thought you were here to take care of me. Mm-hmm. If you're far more like an analytical kind of mind, you might look at all the evidence and say, okay, I see in the Bible where, where Jesus is powerful and truth will stand on its own and the gospel is powerful in and itself. And, and then you look around and like I said earlier, Jesus nowadays seems to be easily dismissible mm-hmm. and really not even worth considering. Um, and so it's, it's, it's almost like he's lost all of his power to influence culture. I mean, earlier we were talking about the nation of Haiti and how, uh, there's the suggestion that the, like the founder of Haiti or of that government, whatever was satanic. And so now the entirety of Haiti is in shambles because perhaps there is such satanic, uh, roots to it. I thought, well, I'm not denying that, but I thought, okay, how many millions of people from the church? have gone into Haiti to try to preach the gospel and yet Haiti now is worse off than it's ever been. I thought, okay, where's the power? Where is the power of Jesus to overcome the power of the where, of the world, right? Or the prince of the power of the air, which Satan is called in the scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that might be your kind of veil. For other people, it might be for, for strong personalities like CEO entrepreneurs. It might be, um, it might be, like the power dynamic or the authority dynamic. Mm-hmm. If I don't see Jesus working powerfully in my life, mm. well then where's really the evidence, you know, of, mm. so I think the first probably place to start looking is at your personality and, and, and how God has wired you. Satan will use how God has wired you against you. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and even along those lines, I think God sometimes loves us in ways we don't actually expect to be loved yeah. or want to be loved. Yeah. If that makes sense, mm. like God's God's giving us what we need, mm-hmm. but sometimes we want something different or we look for something different. Like we're missing yeah. what's actually there. Um, I do think it's a personality dynamic. It's got to be because you're clouded 
by your blind spots and your personality is going to have blind spots. Yeah. And sometimes those blind spots are exactly what keeps you from hmm. Jesus. I, have you guys ever heard of a Venn diagram? Yeah. You know, those four, four squares. And, mm-hmm. and I had someone describe this to me once and it, it falls exactly in line with what you're saying is there's four squares. One square is what God only sees about you. Okay, no one else can see it for the rest of your life. This is the square that only God sees. It's it's the things that are maybe at the deepest core of your soul and you just are not aware of. Mm. Then there's things that other people see and God sees. Yeah. Then there's things you see and other people see and God sees. And then there's the things that that you see, other people see, God sees, and it's just basically you're completely aware of, okay? Those things that you're completely aware of, you want that big box to get bigger and bigger and bigger as you become more like Christ. But the thing that clouds it is when you think you know something about yourself, but it's not reality. Like you've lost a sense of who you are. I think Thomas here, a little bit lost the sense of who he is. He's willing to die with Jesus earlier in the gospels in John. And then he comes here and he's like, well, unless I see it, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going with this. And I think we have those moments. I mean, I, I know I have. Yeah. I've had those moments of doubt where I'm just like, ooh, I'm going to have to do this. I think I'd, I'd be mad if God made me wait eight days. I mean, I'm just being honest. Like, I mean, <laughs> like you look in John 20, 26, and he says eight days later. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know uh, about eight days, man. After the other disciples, like, who am I? Like, yeah. Uh, I, you'll, I, you'll be fine. You'll be, I'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. Wait eight days. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to wait a lot more days, hopefully, to yeah. see Jesus, right? right? You know, right. so. Yeah. Um, no, this, this has been great. I, I think the challenge um, or the lesson that I learned from this is to be aware of how my surroundings are influencing mm. how I see Jesus and how much I see Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, the, it's not just their personality. It's also the surroundings that's impacting their perspective. Mm. I think we have to be careful of that just to, to be self-aware, as you said, mm. um, to make sure that we're seeing by faith, not by sight. Yeah. I mean, so we're walking by faith, not by sight. Yeah. Um, and that's why, that's why scripture is clear to keep mm. our eyes fixed on Jesus, yeah. not our emotional state, not our mental state, not even the circumstances around us, hmm. who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Yeah. Um, which of course that word is not that we're sinless and never make mistakes. It's that we are fully integrated, we're complete and we're whole. And that's what we're going after. So great conversation guys. And uh, thank you guys again for being a part of this uh, conversation. We are so glad that you have joined us. And again, make sure if you have not yet done so, uh, get on uh, YouTube and look for Brookside Church FW and make sure you subscribe to our channel. Also hit the like button as well as the notification bell. That way you can be informed of uh, any new content, whether it's our Sunday morning conversations or this podcast so that you can be some of the first uh, to experience it. Thank you again. We cannot wait to see you this Sunday or online uh, at brookside.org and uh, have a great day. We'll see you there.